All right. We had a, a big shakeup this morning, and uh, we'll post some stuff, but we'll figure out what's public to post. Uh, but some families struggling going through, got a early morning phone calls, and just kind of ripped through the middle of, of us this morning. So be praying. There's some families that are struggling uh, with family members that are sick and stuff, and so I don't know what all is public yet, but we'll post on Realm, get that announcement out to you as quick as we can when we know what we can share and give you an update. And so um, as that happens, here's what we get to see in the mornings. We watch as other people rise up and serve and, and really uh, fill gaps and take on things that they don't normally do. And so sometimes it's frantic in the mornings, but we watch people step up. And so I'm just grateful as we get together this morning. Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be. We're going to talk about worship this morning. And so I want to ask you this question as we begin, as you're turning to Nehemiah 8, or if you're in the app, click on the Bible. As, pa- as uh, Pastor Scott said, there's, when you download the new app, it's going to ask you for an email address. And what it'll do is send you updates. You can select which notifications you get. When you click on the ESV Bible, it'll also ask you if you want to go as a guest or if you want to create a user. And it's a free account. But the ESV gives you a lot of things, like Pastor Scott was talking about, a note-taking feature, highlighting. It also, will, it's an audio Bible. It will read you the passage itself. Lots of cool features within the ESV. Once you log into that, if you choose to do so, it'll keep you logged in within our app. And so notes from today are in the app. They're in the new one and the old one. We'll keep that going for the rest of this month. And then we want to create a space, really, where you have, uh, whether you're in church or in community group, youth group, that you have everything you need for our gathering in one space in an app, kind of like the way we do everything else. And so we would just invite you to that. So as you're turning there, as you're opening that up, let me ask you this. Why do we gather corporately on Sundays as a church? What is it that we're doing here? Why do we do this? Like a real question. What are you guys thinking? To worship. What else? Community of believers. Fellowship. Learning. So worship, community, fellowship, we gather together as a church. Now, now how, does, how often does God call us to do this? Every day. That was a good answer. All the time. That's good. But regularly, God calls us regularly to gather. When we answer this question, we tend to lead with answers that have to do with us. We want to gather to learn. Sometimes we want to gather to worship. We want to gather to be a part of something, to gather to do something that is to be a part of the family of God. This has been going on for thousands of years. God has always gathered his people corporately. He's gathered them in smaller groups. He's also gathered together families and other groupings or other places God, where God would meet with people individually, but there's a unique role that the corporate gathering, when I say the corporate gathering, I mean the whole church as we gather together, as many of us can gather together in one place, there's always been a unique role in this. And so we're going back to the Old Testament. We're looking back at, at thousands of years ago, roughly 2,500 years ago, as this is being written, they're calling back together, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you an introduction to this. As we open up Nehemiah 8, what you're in the middle of is an Old Testament book. But as it was written, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book together. And what's been going on is the people of God had been enslaved by other nations. The reason they had been enslaved by other nations is God had repeatedly and, and perpetually just warned them to return to him. 
they had drifted far in their hearts. They had become far away from God in their practice. Their worship had gone away. They had begun to worship other gods. They'd begun to not worship any God at all. And God had repeatedly reached out to his people and called them to return. And it was a a slow and somewhat gradual drift in the beginning, and then it became much more overt and obvious. And God continued to call his people back, continued to call them back, and they wouldn't return. And so God literally just kind of lifts his hand of blessing off of his people, and the nations begin to plunder them and enslave them. So after a season of being enslaved, what happens is the people of God begin to cry out to God. And over about 120 years, three waves of returning exiles begin to enter back into Jerusalem and Judah and Israel and returning to the, to the land that God had given them. When the other nations had plundered them, when the other nations had enslaved them, those that they did not kill, they took and enslaved and removed them from their home. They burned the temple to the ground. They burned their homes to the ground. They destroyed the country, the communities, And so God, as God begins to restore this nation, as people begin to come back, what happens is they begin to rebuild. So Nehemiah chapter 8, I'm going to read you uh, the first verse, and I want to kind of give you a little introduction just for today. Verse 1 says this, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So they're gathering back. These three waves have taken place. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of people back in Jerusalem. And they began first by building the temple. They began to restore and rebuild the temple. And in the midst of this, they get sidetracked. And about 20 years goes by where they do nothing. And during that 20 years, what they start to do is they begin to rebuild their homes. And God calls out to them through another prophet in another book of the Bible. Simultaneously, God calls out to them and says, listen, Why are you guys, you guys have stopped rebuilding my house and you guys have begun to set up shop and rebuild your home. Why is it that you're rebuilding your home but you've stopped over here rebuilding my home? Like why have you stopped building the house of God? And so they go back, they finish this, they begin to develop their homes and finish their homes and then they begin to develop their community and their city. And so it's in the midst of this that they're returning. As they're gathering together, they're looking backwards and ask you, okay, now, what happened with the generations before us? So put a pin there, and then I want to just, as we meet today, here's what I want to do. I want to start with a verse that we're going to cover in a couple weeks, but it's out of Hebrews. And so let me give you that verse. It's out of Hebrews 10. And the author of Hebrews says, let us not, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, in the habit of, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So now you fast forward to the New Testament, same group of people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, and they're still reminding themselves, let's not give up meeting together. Let's not give up gathering together corporately. In fact, when we do, let's stir one another up to love and to good deeds, to love and to good works, to love and to following God. Let's continue to be an encouragement to one another. Again, this is hundreds and hundreds of years later. And so as we set ourselves in Nehemiah, what we see is there is a recurring issue among the people of God. And that's true today. It was true then. 
And what happens is in times of struggle where we find ourselves is we press into God, we press into church. Time and time again, we see people, they'll lose jobs or they'll, you know, they'll go through a bad breakup or they go through this big transition in life and they press into church. They stop coming to church regularly. They plug in, they start serving. They're going to a small group. They're attending a Bible study. They're doing all this. And then the very thing they're praying for, God, I'm praying for a job or God, I'm praying for a relationship or God, I'm praying for some help. God, I'm praying for healing. And then God provides for them, and then that job begins to draw them out of the community of faith. That relationship begins to pull them out of the community of faith. That thing that they've been asking for, God provides, and it begins to draw them away. This goes and happens time and time. It's been happening for thousands and thousands of years, and people tend to drift, and we know that what happens to us, right? We know that it's easy to drift, So the main idea, the place we just want to kind of plug in, press in, and look at today is this. If you're a note taker, here's the the idea. The Sunday gathering, gathering together corporately allows us to hear from God, offer our sacrifice, confess and be forgiven, and share God's goodness through Christ Jesus with one another. We gather together to worship God, right? To come and give of ourselves to God, to offer our sacrifice, to confess to be forgiven, to be encouraged, to be stirred up, to be taught, and, and this is where I think we miss this, we're here for one another. You're here for me. I need you. It's like you need me, I need you. We're here that there is something about the corporate gathering that God has always called us to, and it's because we need one another. So let me read verse one again. So here's the people of God gathering back. They've gone through these cycles of rebuilding the temple. They started with their worship. They went to their home. They ended in their community. They're beginning to put it all back together. It's kind of where it needs to be. And they're starting to gather together and ask the questions, how is it that, that, our, that the generations before us, how is it that they lost sight of everything? And it says this, verse one, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So here's what they do. They gather as one. They begin to gather corporately. They get together, and when they gather together, it's as if they're one person. Here's what I got to see this morning. I get a text message early that there's been a problem with somebody's family member and they're off to the hospital and they can't come here. And, and it just kind of triggers these things. They, were, they had a role to do this morning. There was something going on. And, we, and what I got to watch is, it, of course, there's, there's things I don't know how to do. There's folks that work here that don't know how to do that role. We, we begin to look for things and we begin to struggle like, okay, do you know where this is? Or do you know where this goes? Or what do we do? And there's a little more confusion. But what happens every time? is everybody steps up and everybody begins to pitch in as one person. And this happens when somebody misses out on children's ministry or when somebody in a band doesn't show up. This this happens because life happens. Sometimes tragedy strikes and strikes in the middle of a Sunday morning, right? Sometimes things happen and you just can't get here. And what happens, what we get to see is the church begin to step up as one person and figure it out and fill the gaps and come together. Verse 2, it says this. So Ezra the priest brought out the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day 
of the seventh month. So here's what happens, and I want you to get this. If you've ever, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the church, or if you've never read the Bible, this won't make as much sense, but it's clear enough. But if you've been around Christianity for a while, you've been along maybe around long enough to where you're like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible from cover to cover this year. And you begin... And Genesis, Genesis is fun. It's a lot of stories. You go through creation. You go through people. You get to people, and, and you, the people start, you know, all kinds of crazy things happen because it's about people, right? Because people are crazy, right? And so all these things happen. It's a story, and you get to Exodus, and the people of God are enslaved again, and Moses is going to go get them out, and God's doing amazing things, and he's delivering people. And then you get to Leviticus, and everything comes to a screeching halt because you get to the Levitical law. Now, doesn't that sound exciting? That sounds fun. Deuteronomy is the word that means the second giving of the law. That's exciting, right? And everybody comes to a screeching halt. Here's what happens, and here's why I say this. The people of God gather together 2,500 years ago, and the generation, the two generations, three generations before them, had been so disobedient that God took his hand off them and allowed the nations surrounding them to enslave them, to take them captive, to murder them, to to eliminate their houses, to, to break down the temple, and literally take them captive and take them into slavery. And so as the people begin to rebuild, they gather together and they're like, okay, let's open up God's law. Let's figure out where everything went wrong. Because the stories of God and those things have a place, but let's figure out what it was that God had commanded us to do, who God had commanded us to be. Let's go through that again. And let's figure out where did our, our, the generations before us, where did our parents go wrong? Where did they drift? Where did they get sidetracked? And how can we back, get back on track? And so as Ezra, the priest... He brought the law, says, before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. It's a lot like this, and we are intentional about this, and this has not been, uh, this has not been without struggle and trying to work through things with parents, but really, any age can be in here. And there are parents of little kids who bring their little kids in here, and they teach their children to sit with them in church. And then, there's, then we have children's ministry, which we have created for kids, but we've tried to keep this space where anyone can be in here. And then children's ministry ends at fifth grade. And middle school and high school, we have kept in the church because we want to make sure that even our young people, as they're growing up, that they're here, that they're with us, that this isn't their parents' church, and they go to children's church, or they go to youth group, or they go to this other place, and by the time they can drive, or by the time they're 18 and they're an adult, they don't feel like this is their church. And so what we try and do is anybody who wants to sit in here, that we will open up God's word, and we will try and make it understandable to anyone. And so as we gather together, we imitate this. Both men and women, young and old, would gather together. All who could possibly understand would gather together. And Ezra the priest breaks out the book of the law. He doesn't go to the stories. He doesn't go to the Psalms. He goes up and he opens up literally Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And he begins to open this up in front of the people. And the people are listening intently. And they're asking the question, God, where is it? Where is it that we went wrong? Where is it that we drifted? Where is it that those who came before us lost sight of you? And I've got to imagine as Ezra steps up, 
He's a priest and a leader. He is a man that the people know and they love. And he opens up the law, and I imagine that there was just this hush. And that everyone quieted down, and he begins to read the law. It says this, verse 3. And he, meaning Ezra, read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And, a, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Ananiah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Messiah and on his right hand Padiah, Mishael, Melchizedek, Hashem and Hashbanada, Zechariah and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. So he opens this up and the people have gathered and there are priests on one side and there's priests on the other. And Ezra comes forward and they built this platform so that he could, he could speak out over the people, that people could see him. And as he opens the book, as he opens whatever it was, a scroll or however he did it, but he opens up the book of the law. And he begins to read from the words of the law. The people begin to stand. And their ears are listening. And here's the difference. They're there because they want to know how to follow God. They're there because they want to know how they prevent the train wreck that they just, that they just came out of. They want to know how is it that maybe our parents taught us to follow God or, or maybe the culture said this is what it looks like to be a good follower of God, but this didn't work. And how is it that we've been taught or what are the things we've been told that when we actually are confronted with the law of God doesn't line up with how God has called us to live? So he opens it up and it looks a lot like this. They built a wooden platform. And I'm actually literally on wood today. We're normally on the stage when the school's obviously doing a, a play and and literally standing here, and I, and I like that this is actually closer to you, and, and, but it looked like this. Except it says that he began reading in the early morning, and he went till midday. And I know you guys are on a, we're on a clock here, right? And like at 40 minutes, you guys start getting twitchy, right? But really, the coffee. We've got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I know. So, but you got to understand, here's what goes on. They begin to read, and the people are just answering the question, listen, we, God, we want to honor you. God, we don't want to fall, fall far from you. We don't want to be enslaved by others. We don't want to be any other way than the way you have called us to be. So God, would you, would you speak to us? Will you tell us how it is that we're to live? If you're a note taker, here's a note for you. Learning the faith. The difference of these people, the folks that were reading about from their ancestors who disobeyed God was that they wanted to learn where they'd gone wrong. There was a genuine desire to turn from their sin and understanding and that they needed to be taught. They wanted to come together and what they want to hear is not something that makes them feel good about themselves or not something that says, listen, man, here's, you know, here's three steps to a better marriage. They wanted to know how is it that we've fallen from God? How is it that we've become far from God? How is it that we need to change? Where is it that we need to lay ourselves down before God and repent and turn and change? 
Verse 6, it says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the people answered him, Amen, Amen. And lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua and Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Measa, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. We were just talking about this last night. I have no idea how to say those names. I just pretend I know what I'm doing, just for the record. But I ought to get credit for doing it, right? Okay. So he's out and he's reading the law and they go for hours and they're reading law over the people and hundreds of thousands of people have gathered and everyone is listening. And here's what he says, the priests that are with him, the Levites that are with him, they're, they're kind of among the crowd. And as he is proclaiming the law, as he's reading the law over them, it's like they're pausing and little small groups are like, what does this mean? And, and how, what does this mean to us? And how do, we, how do we do this? And what does this mean for us? And right where they are in their place, the Levites are making it understandable. Because there's something profound about reading God's word over a people, but there's also something necessary about taking the time to understand not only what does it mean, but what does it mean to me? Like, okay, I get what it's supposed to say, but where am I as, as it relates to this? Am I in line with this? Am I out of line with this? Where am I with this? And they take a group of hundreds of thousands of people gathered together, and they just spend the day Understanding God's law. Verse 8, it says, They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense or the meaning so that the people understood the reading. Here's the value of preaching. If you're a note taker, again, this is all in the app. We gather together under the teaching of our elders and pastors because we don't know everything. We need the word of God taught to us regularly because our faith requires our growing and understanding. Our faith requires that we grow in understanding. A bunch of us gathered together and we watched the fights last night together over at Pastor Scott and Claudia's house and, and, and it was early before the fights had started and I think it was you, me, and, and Larry, I think we were sitting there we were talking about folks that are older than us and folks that have been around the faith for a long time. And there was two examples uh, one was someone older uh, that one of them had run into who said, oh, well, I've been walking with Jesus for, you know, how many ever years, and you're not going to teach me anything new. And there was another one who had been walking with the Lord for a long time who basically said something to the effect of, the more I learn about God, the more I know I, don't, I just don't know everything. The more I understand, I just don't know. And so if you're here this morning, we gather to learn. And that's why I don't do all the teaching. That's why I love to sit. I love to listen. I love to be taught. Because I don't know everything. And you don't know everything. And we don't know everything. We definitely know where to go to learn. But we gather because God calls us to be forever transformed to become more and more like Jesus until we stand face to face with him. That we will be forever being transformed. And that's why we do this weekly. And that's why we gather together in small groups weekly. And that's why, with the exception of short breaks, that we gather regularly together. And that's why we never gather together ever on a Sunday without opening up God's word. Because we are here to be taught by him. Because we are forever being called to be changed by him. 
Verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Do you know why they're weeping? They want to, they wish they could reclaim the years that have been lost. There's another passage in Nehemiah earlier that gives us context for this, that we can say this. And what happens is the people, as they gather together, it's their first time worshiping together. And they, and they, they start to read God's word out. And the response is worship. And as they read this, there's confession. It says, and the younger men are joyful. and says, the older men are weeping. And the older men are remembered. They're, what they're doing is they're walking through this and saying, I, I, wish, I wish I had done this decades ago. I always think about that. As a follower of Jesus, I think, okay, I don't want to be 10 years from now thinking, man, I just threw, I wish I had done this 10 years ago. Like, I wish I had surrendered this part of my life to God so long ago that I wouldn't have to be dealing with this today, that I could have been living the way God had called me to live, that I could have been doing this all along. And that's why the older men have a different response than the younger men is they have that regret of missing the mark over a season of time that they wish they could get back. As the people gather together and the laws read over them, they begin to weep. They begin to see how far apart from God they are. But as Nehemiah and Ezra called them, they're like, listen, this day, this day is for God. It's not for mourning. It's not for weeping. This day is for joy. This day is for worship. This day is for praise. Like, you don't have to weep. Our God is forgiving. Our God is gracious. He says, this day is holy to the Lord. You don't need to mourn today. Today you celebrate what God has done for us. And you stay in that place where you know God has been good. No matter how far apart we are, God has been good. The gospel is that. The gospel is that, that we have missed the mark. The gospel is that we've gone astray. The gospel is that God who created us and loved us called us to be worshipers of God and we have done everything but that. Humanity has done everything but worship God. As we watch culture, as we watch the things that are going on, we watch as people just drift further and further and further away from a God who loves them. And we, if, we're, if we're honest, we watch that in ourselves. We watch as we're so prone to drift away. But the gospel is that God entered into human history in Jesus Christ, that, that God came and lived the life that we were called to live and died the death in our place. And that the reason we worship, the reason that we gather, when we look at God's word and we understand we miss the mark so much, the reason we still worship and celebrate is because Jesus made it for us. And that Jesus covers every missed mark we've got. That Jesus covers our sin if we'll surrender his, our lives to him. That if we will allow him to come in and transform us, he will cover our sin. He will pay our penalty. We don't have to. And so we go from mourning to worship. We go from we missed the mark to I have a Jesus who has fulfilled it all for me. And that in Christ I stand before God and, and, and I stand before God covered by Jesus. And so he calls him, listen, this day is for God. It's not for mourning. And this is a day, this isn't a morning, and this isn't, and church, you need to hear this. This isn't the 90 minutes or 75 minutes we spend together. This is a day given for God. 
that God calls us to do as he did and set the model that we would do everything we need to do in six days and that we would give a day of the week to God. And that doesn't mean it's a rule. It doesn't mean you can't go on vacation. It just means like that you would carve out a day of the week to give to God and that you would do so in the context of a corporate body. And it's not that it's a rule. It's not that, you, it, that, that if you don't do this, you're not, it's not that. It's that we need one another. It's that we need God's word over us, that we need to understand, we need to grow, we need to worship, we need to repent. And beyond all that, God deserves it from us. That we need a space where we can be here for one another and that we would do this regularly, that we would buy into that, that we would be here for one another, that we would be here for God and that we would be here for ourselves. And so they gather and they begin to see where they have just missed out It says, then he said them, meaning Nehemiah, go your way, eat food and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, say, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and send portions to make rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. I want you to hear this. The Levites had to calm the people down. We're not talking like one tear comes down. We're talking about the people of God are grieved and wrecked. They're sprawled out in places before God and they are mourning because they are, they are seeing themselves rightly that they are so far from God. And that the community itself sees how much the entire community has missed the mark and that they as a community are not honoring God. And they are broken before God, so much so that not only Nehemiah and Ezra, but the Levites need to comfort them and go, listen, this is not that day. That was yesterday. That was the time when we were doing it. Today is the day we give to God. Today is the day we worship. Today is the day we are joyful. Today is the day where we care for those who don't have. Today is the day where we walk with other people. Today is not the day for mourning. Today is the day for joy. And there is not a day that should go by on a Sunday in this church where we should just leave convicted of sin and not comforted with forgiveness. That we should, again, we should see where we missed the mark, but we should see an overwhelming, benevolent, gracious, and good God who wants us to leave here joyfully knowing he has covered our sin and has called us to something more. And they are broken, and they are in need of comfort. Verse 13 says, on the second day, this all takes place in one day. Hours of reading God's word over them. Hours of the law and explaining it and pressing into it. And then it says on a second day, so they're not even done yet. And they're going into another day. And again, here's what we see. We see a people who have understood how far they are from God. And they are returning. And they are pressing in. And as it rolls over into another day, they send them to the home. So they say, eat meals, celebrate, drink wine, spend time, give to those who don't have to give, share what you have. If you have more than enough, give and share that. And then they come back. And they're right back the next day, ready again to hear It says, verse 13, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Verse 14, they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. 
Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booze, as it is written. So here is the Feast of Booze. There is a time where God is set apart for the people of God to live in tents. And this is, obviously, this is a, and we won't press into this today, but this is a forerunner that is fulfilled in Christ. Like we did on Good Friday, we talked about how Passover is fulfilled in Christ. This was something that pointed forward to Jesus as well. But for now, it was to spend a week out in tents in their backyard. Literally. That they were to go... They were to leave their homes that they had built, to leave the comfort of everything that they had acquired for themselves and literally set up booths or tents, the same word, in, like in their yard or outdoors. And they were to set that up. And what they were to do is to remember to spend that week. There was actually eight days that they would spend in it. And what this was to, was to remember when God had delivered them from Egypt and remember the time that the generations before them spent in the desert. Not just God's provision, but that 40 years was spent in the wilderness because God's people wouldn't obey him. And just if you're unfamiliar with that story, there's literally a three-week three walk from where they were delivered from to where they eventually landed. 40 years to get their attention. 40 years of them wandering around a desert and being led over here, setting up camp and waiting 40 years, though, of God providing water from a rock, literally food from the sky, meat that would fall in front of the birds that would land there. Literally, God providing for them, leading them with a, a, a cover of cloud over the day in the desert and a pillar of fire to light them at night. Like, literally, God miraculously leading them even as they were disobedient. And so God says, listen, when I take you into the land, here's what I want you to do. I want you to every year to spend a week out of the comfort of your home to remember not only my provision, but how long it took to get people's attention. I just want you to imagine if I could just take scripture, if I could just prove that God was still saying that we needed to do this today, that all of us were to pack up and go live in our backyards for a week, how many think would do it? Not the campers out there that are like, I totally go live in a tent and I do it all the time, I know. I know. So, uh, I mean the rest of you that think camping is a hotel, right? How many would do it? That's what happened. No one's doing it. They had left, they had abandoned this practice even as God had commanded them to. Comfortable Christianity. Modern Christianity is based on what we want, not what Jesus demands from us. Attendance in church, small groups, is based on convenience, not conviction. Giving financially, serving is based on comfort, not sacrifice. Obedience is not submission to Christ, but rather comfort of choice. And we're no different than the people who came before us. We will go as far as we feel comfortable to go, and then we will find a reason to say, well, that was just back then. Oh, he doesn't mean that today. Well, they're not calling us to that. Christianity has become what's comfortable for us. What's comfortable for me. It starts with me. Christianity has become what is comfortable, not what Jesus has called us to. Verse 16 says, So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof, and in their courts, and in the courts on the house of God, in the square, at the water gate, in the square, at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who returned from the captivity made booths or tents, and they lived in them. 
from the days of Yeshua, son of Nun, until the day the people of Israel had not done so. So for decades, for, for hundreds of years. And there was a great rejoicing, and day by day, from the first to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, that's Ezra, and they kept the seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So they go out, they leave the homes they've built. They've been reading through God's law, and God has called them to literally live outside, live in inconvenience for seven days, and on the eighth day, to have a solemn assembly and remember where they had come from. And if we're honest, if we just ask ourselves, if there was really that command to us today, if we really believe that to be true, if that had not been fulfilled in Christ and that was still a command to us, how many would do it? And if we're honest, it wouldn't be a high number of participation, right? And they go out and they do this and they begin to celebrate and they begin to rejoice. The difference here is a me-centered versus a Christ-centered response. Do you have that note? The reason modern church is so far from what we see in scripture is that we are told that Jesus exists to make us happy rather than we exist to serve Jesus. We believe when we walk through the doors that we are here, that Jesus exists to make me happy, that this is a therapeutic Christianity and that when I am unhappy, that somehow Jesus has failed me. Then we run the lamp, we're supposed to get what we want. And rather... What we should be here for is because Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God, who gave his life for us. And that if he never does a single thing for me, I owe him everything. But we are blessed in that Jesus has given us more than we could ever ask or imagine. But when our faith becomes me-centered, it all becomes about me or all what I like or what I agree with or what I think, what I disagree with or what it is, rather than a Christ-centered faith and we miss the mark and there's no way we can get it right when Jesus is not in the center of our faith. Chapter 9, verse 1 says this. I'm going to wrap up here pretty quick. Now on the 24th day of this month, I want you to hear that, 24 days in. The people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth. So now they've gone to going without meals to sacrifice for God. And they're wearing sackcloth and earth on their heads. It was just their way of showing mourning. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sin and the iniquities of their fathers. They gather together and they confess what has gone wrong. And they don't just confess their own sin. They confess what we call corporate sin. They confess the sins of the generations that preceded them that got them in this place. And so when you think confession, don't think Roman Catholic. Don't think of a, a little booth where you go in and say it to a priest and gives you something to do. It's not that. They are standing as a corporate gathering like we're gathering now. And they stand in confession. And and they confess not only their own sins, but they confess the sins of the generations before them. And they're going to cry out to God. Not that God doesn't know what went wrong. But it's them just acknowledging how far they have fallen from God. Verse 3, and it says, And they stood up in their place, and they read from the book of the law to the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worship the Lord their God. Again, we don't have whole day things or multi-day things. We don't have a space where we spend that kind of time in church. And if we did, honestly, people would think we were crazy. They spent a quarter of the day, they spent six hours gathered together, learning, listening, being taught by God. Then they spent the next six hours confessing that they had just missed the mark on the whole thing. They just learned for six hours. And they spent that time saying, God, we're, 
We have fallen so far. On the stairs of the Levites stood Yeshua, Benai, Kedmel, and all the folks, and, the, and, and they cried out, it says, with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the priests say, stand up and bless the Lord, your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. The reason that we shift from confession to worship is because of Christ. In the midst of this, what they would do is they would sacrifice an animal. They would sacrifice, they would go through the motions of the covering of their sin. We don't do that clearly because Christ has done that. But death and sacrifice are still a part of the worship service. I wrote it down for you this way. When we gather together, we share the story. That's before that. Slide prior. Let me read it to you from here. Death and sacrifice. The worship service has always centered on a theme of death, death and sacrifice because it reminds us that we caused death with our sin, but that Jesus' sacrifice has been substituted for ours, that Jesus has covered our sin. Without that, we tend to wander away and forget how good we have it. We forget the, the death that could be us. And as they would gather, they would confess, but then they would move to worship. They would confess, and then they would sacrifice, and they would move to worship. And that there is a part of us as we gather today that needs to be a sacrifice every week, every time we gather, every time we go to community group, every time we gather with our family and, and press into our faith that we need to give of ourselves to. Because the faith is always centered around sacrifice. The gospel is Christ's sacrifice for us. Our response is giving our life to him. Whether that means we come here because we're serving one another whether that means where we give to the, to, the, to the ministry so the ministry can go forward, whether that means that we, we gather together and teach our children, whatever that means, that we give of ourselves fully, not only to our faith, but to our community of faith. Verse 6 says, You are the Lord, you alone, you made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask you would, you, would you just stand where you are? The rest of this passage is them telling the stories over the community. They're telling the stories of God's faithfulness, of God's goodness, of the reminder of how many times they have fallen away and how many times God has forgiven them. In fact, I had one more note, but I'll just give it to you quickly. Proclaiming God's faithfulness. When we gather together, we share the stories of God's faithfulness to one another, encouraging one another, because we need one another. When you're not here, not only are you missing what God has, but you're withholding what you have from us. And when I'm not here, we don't have the same thing. When you're not here, I don't have what you have. And what we have is the stories of faith that God has given us. And here's what they do. And I'm just going to ask you this. We're going to move into worship right from this. We're going to come to a time where the elders are going to come forward and serve us communion. You know how that goes. It is the remembrance of the body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ shed that covers our sin. It is the remembrance that Jesus sacrificed for us so that we can live in him. Our deacons are going to be up here and our offering, we'll collect our offering, our tithes and offering this way. If you have a connection card, you're our guest. We're not asking for you to give. We would just love for you to put your connection card in there and we'll follow up with you. 
The rest of us, we stand and we worship. There are crosses where we can come and pray and we gather in this space. But I want you to hear this. And so as we enter into worship, I want to read these words over you. This is the God who loves you. And so I'm going to ask you, we just, as the band starts to play, will you close your eyes and listen as these stories are for you just as they are for the people of God then. Ezra goes on, he says, And I saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and I heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. You made a name for yourself, God, as it is to this day, and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths and as a stone into the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. By a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down from Mount Sinai and you spoke with them and from heaven you gave them the right rules, the true laws, the good statutes and commandments. And you made known for them your holy Sabbath and commanded them the commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for your thirst. And you told them to go and to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful slow to anger and you did not forsake them God you are that God you are our God and we are when we are unfaithful to you God you are faithful to us Jesus right now as a church we remember the stories of your faithfulness the stories in our lives the stories in the history of our faith we also openly just confess that we miss the mark. That we fall short of being the body of Christ to one another. We all fall short. We get pulled away. We drift and, and we don't remember how important this body of believers is to every one of us. We forget that worship gives you glory, that worship brings you fame, that in our hearts it makes you God that our prayers rise up to you like a fragrant incense, that you love to hear the voices of your people when we pray, when we sing, that we stand here as your children and we pray, we sing, that in obedience we come and we remember your death, Jesus, as we take communion. And we remember your forgiveness as we drink the cup. As a church, call us to more. Forgive us where we've missed out. Jesus, call us to more. As we worship you, Jesus, we need you. It's because of you. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.